AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, today we're going to have a call-in guest. His name is Jameson M. He's from New Jersey, and he is going to speak with me and Angela about his experience with starting a secular AA meeting in his area. Um, He told me briefly in his email that he had some challenges with it, and he thought it might make for an interesting conversation. So he'll be calling us in about 15 minutes. And I thought until then, um, Angela and I could chat about a few things. I know that she recently sent out a newsletter for the secularaa.org um, organization. So maybe she could update us on what's going on with all, with all of that. Uh, Angela, how you doing? I am good, thanks. So did you read the newsletter? <laughs> I, I probably should have asked you that I did. first. I did. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I read it, and we'll be posting it tomorrow uh, on AA Beyond Belief. So, yes. <laughs> Great. Great. Um, yeah, we, we sent out a newsletter with, um, you know, what's going on. The main thing that, uh, you know, is on everyone's mind, I'm sure, is uh, the conference in October. Um, so this is our I think we're calling it our fourth biannual international conference of secular Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it starts on October 30th, um, 2020. So it goes, um, over Halloween and that weekend and, um, it's in Washington, D.C., uh, well, technically Bethesda, um, but it's right on top of the, uh, Metro. So, you know, we're calling it D.C. cause it's easier. Um, you know, uh, this year they've decided to have a theme. I don't think they actually, um, you know, had themes um, in the last few that I know of. I, I missed uh, Austin, but I was in Santa Monica and in Toronto. Um, but this year they have a theme, um, the science of alcoholism and recovery. And so, you know, they have, we're going to have a lot of speakers um, and, uh, you know, kind of take advantage of all of the experts that we have in that area because there's the National Institute of Health and in different places there. Um, And so taking advantage of that. And then of course there'll be panels and workshops and, um, and fun stuff, you know, like poetry, you know, through recovery and, and most likely yoga, you know, yoga is still pretty big and (laughs) those kinds of things. Um, Also, I think different groups are are trying to put on little, um, little times to get together. So like um, the Sober She-Devils meeting, um, which is an online secular meeting, um, they're, you know, going to try to get together and not only have a meeting, but also, you know, plan some stuff so that the women can uh, enjoy spending some time together uh, in person uh, since the meeting is online. And, um, you know, a lot of the members are from all over the country and, uh, you know, uh, um, Shanghai and, Australia and things like that. So, so it's going to be an opportunity for a lot of that to, to happen. And I think that's what most people look forward to is just getting together and, and being able to, to be with people like-minded individuals and stuff. Um, and uh, what else is going on uh, there? Um, I think the links and everything are on the Secular AA uh, website, and so you can go there. Um, the rates for the hotel are super cheap. Um, I think it's like $129 a night right now, which is amazing for that area. Um, I don't even think I can get stuff that cheap uh, near Seattle <laughs> right now, and I'm planning to head there. Um, so, yeah, so that's what's going on Um with with that in um, seattle is that what the pacific northwest regional um, well is? it's actually in langley which is um yeah langley bc um and i believe it's about an hour and a half maybe two hours north um i haven't double checked lately um and it is going to be on may 15th 2020 yeah, so just coming up here a little bit, um, but they're calling it the Pacific Northwest Regional Secular AA Conference, um, and the link to that is um, is www.soaar.ca. So basically, soar, 
ca yeah <laughs> so um and you can go there also if you know you're not anywhere near where you can remember that or write that down if you go to aa agnostica they have a um a little article where the people who are putting it on ralph i believe um wrote about you know why they're doing it and and you know their excitement about it and then that also links to their registration page Man, and amazing um, what they're doing i'm just looking at their yeah. website that is so much work. Golly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And I also just like how they, they phrased things, how they framed it out of what their, their goal is, you know, they're very much uh, community oriented and, um, and I like that. I, I think it's a, a good approach. And so I'm excited to go to it. I wasn't sure that, you know, I could handle another conference this year, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I'm going to try it. Yeah, I'm going to drive up, um, and I think a couple of members of my home group are as well, and um, and that'll be cool, because as a home group, we haven't traveled since uh, Santa Monica, and so it'll be nice to have um, a couple of my homies aboard uh, uh, for fun. this one. Yeah, yeah, they're calling this one One Big Tent. They got a really nice yeah. conference center there. I was just kind of looking yeah. at it, the picture of it. looks nice anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think Greg's going to be there to um, talk more about... Um, about the conference in DC, um, Roger's going to be speaking, and then uh, Ray B, who um, spoke at, at uh, Toronto, who I've you know passed his speech on to a lot of people um, regarding recovery capital because I think it's very pertinent at this time, you know, for us to be thinking about all the different things that go into our recovery. So this is Jameson calling us. All right, sounds good. Hey, Jameson, how you doing? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Just sitting here chatting with uh, Angela. She was uh, updating us a little bit about uh, oh, what's going on with the, um, this, the, the conference for ICSA and also this new conference that's going to be taking place in the Pacific Northwest, actually in British Columbia. So anyway, we were talking about that, waiting for you to join us. Very Hi, cool. Hi, Angela. <laughs> You're, uh, you actually sound really good, Jameson, I have to say. I'm impressed. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I don't think I could take any of the credit. <laughs> I'm impressed with my own technology. I swear to God. It's like I invented it myself. <laughs> Very cool. I'm glad yeah. that the quality is coming in clear. Well, it was nice of you to write us. You you mentioned that you started a, a meeting in your community in New Jersey and that maybe you might like to talk about that and some of the challenges that you faced um, doing that. Do you think that would be a good a good subject to talk about today? Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to tell you, you know, uh, how that started and the experience going through it and where we're at today. Uh, okay. Sure. Well, let's go for it. Maybe we should start with a little introduction of yourself and how you, you know, got into recovery and how you learned about um, secular, secularly formatted AA meetings and then uh, go into starting this group in New Jersey. Yeah, uh, that sounds good. So, um, you know, I was born and raised in Inglewood, New Jersey, in Bergen County. That's about, you know, five, ten minutes from the George Washington Bridge in Manhattan. Uh, and I had my first issues with alcohol and drinking when I was about 22, 23 years old. Prior to that, I was not drinking alcoholically, but I was still an addict. I was a food addict my whole life. Um, and after getting weight loss surgery, which was successful, alcohol replaced that as my vice. Oh, wow. You have a lot uh, in common with Angela. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Funny, I've heard my story, uh, you know, told a couple times uh, by, by women from ages, you know, 25 to 45. And yeah. I'm like, that was some serious identification. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when, when I got that surgery and I started really just medicating with alcohol, um, you know, I, I blacked out one night and I drink, drinking and driving, unfortunately, is a large part of my story. Um, but I, I woke up not remembering how I got home and there was a ton of damage to my car. It looked like I rode rail on a highway. Um, and so, you know, in order to finish my college degree, I was going to undergrad commuting. I, uh, told my parents I would, you know, admit myself into an intensive outpatient program. And I did that. And I was the best student I could have been. I said everything I thought they wanted me to say. Uh, all song and dance, but one of the requirements to complete that program was to come to AA. And I did, and I wasn't really ready. Um, 
but I was interested. Some things did make sense. Some stuff I did identify with, but I, I'd been an atheist uh, since I was about 11 or 12 years old. And at this point I was 23 and I really just butted heads with all of the God content in, you know, the literature and the steps and some of the shares and you know, it, it, I did ask, I remember I asked a counselor at that outpatient, is there any alternative that's, you know, not re- religious uh, in any way or have any notion of, you know, a supernatural higher power that's going to remove addiction from my brain? <laughs> and uh, he did, you know, do some research for me and it was like three hours away in South Jersey and it wasn't feasible. Um, so long story short is I white knuckled it on my own after I completed that program for about a year and a half. Um, and things got better because I wasn't inviting chaos into my life, but I didn't change. And sure enough, I did pick up. And what happens when we pick up is, uh, you know, it, it progressed very quickly. And I did pretty much pick up right where I left off with the drinking. And, uh, so after a year and a half of being dry, I was on a run for about two years. Um, and I got a DUI in November of 2017 and, it was the closest thing that I had that you could call like that white light moment. But the, the illusion was smashed for me. Right. I I just knew that I I could not drink like other people. I would never drink like other people again. And I needed help. And, uh, I reached out to the sponsor. I got the first time around when I was 23, just help. I need help. And, uh, he had moved out of state, but he put me in touch with my sponsor who's still my sponsor today. And I was pretty willing to do whatever was asked of me at the beginning. I was able to either, you know, basically tune out the stuff that I found problematic that caused a knot in my stomach when people would say things like, if you don't have God, you won't get sober. Um, Or even worse for me was the kind of uh, condescending, don't worry, keep coming, you'll find him. Uh, And, you know, I... uh, I have a great sponsor who really helped me kind of work two and three. That's where I really, you know, kind of stumbled a little bit, but he was patient with me and I, and things were getting better. And uh, so I was raised in a Jewish home. I'm, I'm half Jewish, half Greek Orthodox or Gruish. And um, I happened to become very friendly with uh, a guy who had some sobriety time in some of the meetings I still attend. And he was uh, leading a sober Bible study at his house. And I was genuinely curious to check it out. Um, and I got a lot out of it. Great conversations, uh, really interesting stuff. And he referred to me as, you know, the token Jew that attends the Bible study. <laughs> and one day he asked me after one of those Bible studies, he said, you know, I've been to that agnostic meeting with you over in Fort Lee. Um, and that that meeting helped me a lot. I found that about hundred days into my sobriety, you know, Tuesday nights at eight o'clock in Fort Lee. And, and I, I felt like I needed that to breathe easier and to help me appreciate the non-secular meetings. And he said, you know, I went to you with those meetings and I think they do a world of good. And now mind you, my friend isn't just sharing a Bible study. He, he was a Catholic priest and then he was high up in uh, the Mormon church out in Utah, and uh, he he just has a very open mind. And, he started and out as a Mormon, that. and then he became a Catholic priest? Uh, other way around. Oh, oh uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, very, very okay. interesting story and, and guy who helped me a lot, and he said, you know, I went to that meeting, but it's on, you know, the other side of the turnpike, and I was thinking we could use that here. Would you like to start an agnostic meeting? And because at this time I had just over, I think, a year um, and people pleasing is something I continue to work on. I said, yes, (laughs) of course, not knowing what I was saying yes to. Uh, But, you know, even though the motivation at first wasn't necessarily the best, uh, I'm super glad I did just, you know, reflex reaction, agree to it. Um, And so he, he was there helping me and he really took on finding a location. And we found a spot. It's a meeting place. You know, uh, he attends, I think, two to three times a week. I was attending once a week. And they had a time slot for us on a Sunday, anywhere between, I think, four o'clock and five thirty. 
And long story short is after the church um, met with the board and they approved us, we were going to be proceeding, you know, two back-to-back meetings on Sunday night and we hit some unfortunate roadblocks. Uh, The gentleman that actually was presiding over both of those meetings uh, did a lot of nasty stuff. I mean, he, he tried to push us out of the space, basically arguing that, you know, his meeting uh, has a contract that says they have the space for X amount of time. And he also wrote some pretty nasty emails about my friend, uh, the Reverend. And he sent that out to other AAs and it became really messy and nasty and political very quickly. Um, and I was surprised, I really was, and it was disheartening. But uh, I, uh, my friend, the Reverend, basically did the, the, did the right thing. And he withdrew his bid from the location because he didn't want to jeopardize the other meetings um, you know, that meet in that location. And we found a, a spot not too far away, also on a Sunday in Lodi. And it was really scary going around and announcing that meeting that it was going to take place once we had our, you know, our first start date set. Uh, I'm glad I put myself out there. I was encouraged by the Reverend, you know, like when you go to meetings, just announce that, you know, we're bringing a secular meeting. And there was a lot of confusion, a lot of, I think, uh, just ignorance and a lot of excitement. And I had some really amazing interactions with folks after meetings coming up to me, like, you know, beaming, grinning ear to ear. Can't wait. Other people, you know, basically grilled me um, and accused me of not being sober because I didn't follow, quote unquote, Bill W's program because I didn't have Bill W's higher power. Oh, I didn't know that you were drunk if you weren't on Bill W's higher power. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I, uh, <laughs> oh, shit. I better turn my in my coin now. I knew that wasn't the case. And <laughs> rage, rage. And I'm not somebody who typically acts out on anger or feels it like that unless, you know, I, I really hit my limit. Um, and it, it's funny because there's a lot of friends that I've made in, in the rooms who have traditional faith, who do practice religion, but they're people that have helped me understand my own spirituality by listening to them and seeing how they make a distinction between their religious-based faith and spiritual fulfillment, spiritual growth, spirituality. Um, And they were there, like, consoling me or keeping me calm when, you know, the nasty things would be said. And they helped start that meeting. And, and what's wonderful is it is the most fulfilling meeting I go to now. Uh, it's huge. You know, we started out, there was a lot of curiosity. There was probably like 35 people at the first meeting. And some of them got really, you know, pissed off when they heard people really venting about, you know, not needing God and or like, and that were was the my people one that were getting mad. Were they like from other meetings and then they were kind of shocked to hear that? Or were they just other um, agnostics that were, didn't want to hear the, the complaining? Uh, that's a great question. So now the, the first week, it was really like a lot of people who were curious. I don't know what their intentions were or, or the motivation to show up. It could have been, you know, genuine support. For the cause, um, curious, or let's see what this is really all about. I think, I think, and I could have could be reading into it, but I think some people were really trying to uh, basically find the evidence that they needed to see. I knew it. Yeah, this is an AI kind of thing, but it absolutely is. It is, and uh, you know, the one fear I had going into it, and and I, you know, had help from a few of my friends who helped me, you know, take on this uh, whole thing to not allow the meetings discourse become the equivalent of Bible thumpers, you know, on the non-faith or more secular side of it, which did happen in the beginning. I think people needed to oh, vent. Boy. Doesn't it happen at every single group when it first starts? I hate it. I yeah. People so. need to like vent. The first month, maybe, maybe month and a half, there was a lot of that. And, you know, for me, this is about not drinking. Um, and what the meeting ended up becoming, I love the format. So we do, uh, read from One Big Tent, the uh, grapevine collection of atheists and agnostics, uh, you know, and reading some of the submissions. 
So that's the first meeting of every month. Um, and then we have an open discussion. The middle of the month, the chair picks uh, somebody to lead a discussion. So they get like an extended chair um, for about five to 10 minutes. And then we open it up to the on whatever topic. And then the last meeting of the month, and this was important to me as well as to my friend, the Reverend, that you know, I struggled with all the steps that referred to God or tried to mask that it's still God with a capital H in him. Uh, so we have a step meeting, uh, the last of every month. What do you and, use for your step meeting? Say it again? What, what do you use any particular literature for your step meeting or used to, is it based on discussion? So it's mainly discussion based. I mean, I would just pull up online, you know, the, the steps as they're written um, in, in the 12 and 12. Maybe I would, you know, glance at some of the um, chapter itself to refresh my memory. Um, but very short, just like this is the step. This is what it you know means to me or my experience with it. Uh, what's your take? Yeah. And uh, what's what's amazing is seeing a lot of newcomers come in. And like a sigh of relief, uh, sometimes literally. Um, and I'm glad that we got through that phase of like, isn't this exciting? And I can't believe those other meetings. And this is my half. Like all, all of the kind of just excitement blew over. And now what's what we're left with is an amazing meeting with just elevated conversation. Yeah, that sounds real familiar. Is that kind of familiar to what you experienced in Boise, Angela? Yeah, yeah, quite quite a bit of it. Um, we uh, didn't have any difficulty, you know, finding a location. Um, we went with uh, the Unitarians. Um, I believe we had done some research, and it sounded like a group in uh, hey John, San Francisco. I, I can't hear oh, you can't hear Angela. <laughs> okay, oh, that's no. interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, okay, okay. That's something we'll have to work out. Can you hear me now? Is he not able no, to hear at all? No, and it must be the way that um, I bet you if I had him call in on the Bluetooth um, way, maybe ah. you would have heard, heard him. I don't know. Okay. That's weird. Anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, well. she, she was just saying that they didn't have a problem finding a location, but that, yeah, she they had those kind of similar things. I did too. Our group did too. In the very beginning, okay, what happened with us is we were – most of the actually most of the people that came to our meeting in the very beginning had either gone to AA and didn't like it because they didn't feel they fit in, or they would just never been to AA and would never go if there weren't a secular option. And so we, in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of um, bashing or anything. But then after about a year, our group like really grew, and what happened were some people from another group um, started coming to our meetings. And they were like totally relieved that they had a secular option. And, but unfortunately what they would do is they would bash their old group a lot. They would complain about what they ha had experienced. And I guess they just needed to get it out of their system. So um, our meetings went through that period of time where we had a little bit of that, but then after a while, like you said, that went by the wayside and now we're just left with a really nice meeting, you know, where it's like no one even thinks about, you know, it's any different than any other AA meeting. Right. Right. And, and I think that's so important because I, I owe everything I have today to AA. I really, I, I love it. I also think that it is, something that needs to change or die as well as the next second suffering. Uh, the the ma fact of the matter is, is that, you know, this current generation is the most secular ever to walk the earth. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but a lot of this literature, which is dated and, you know, I think unnecessarily complicated at points, you know, if you, if you felt like I've felt coming in, of just, you know, I need help. Tell me what I need to do. Great. But I think that if it's presented, I guess, in a little bit more of a secular manner, you don't necessarily need to be as desperate. Um, you know, all I know is that I'm really glad that these meetings are growing, uh, the agnostic meetings and getting recognized by intergroup uh, was it was emotional for me. I didn't expect that, but when I went down to the area meeting um, at Intergroup and 
you know, presented just what the meeting's about, I didn't expect to feel the emotions that I was feeling because I do think about, you know, and I could have been one of them. I'm fortunate that I wasn't, but I think about the people that maybe dipped their toe in the water or like you were mentioning, you know, just let their preconceived notions keep them away. And they didn't get that chance to get sober because they died. And if they're dying because of, you know, other people, you know, forcing their higher power on them or because the literature is really that uh, much of a turnoff for people, that's that's just frustrating. And it doesn't have to be that way. So tell me, the people that do come to your meeting, are they primarily people who have not been to a traditional AA meeting? Uh, no. Uh, in fact, the, the large majority are people um, who I see very much involved in non-secular, non-agnostic Oh, really? Meetings. Interesting. Yeah. And we've grown to a regular attendance of about 25 to 30 people. And one of the things that I think makes the fabric of that meeting so interesting and fulfilling is that it's diverse. It's diverse in age. It definitely skews younger. It's the only meeting where women outnumber the men. And, uh, you know, we take the safety of every member very seriously. Uh, we read the safety card at the beginning, but we also have had, you know, group conscience where one member's behavior was completely inappropriate. It was a man making women feel inappropriate. I think that's another thing that, you know, it's, it's a very complicated and delicate and confusing uh, situation that can occur in AA and has occurred, I think, since the start. How did you deal AA. with it? Did your group deal with it in a, in a meeting? We did. Uh, we did, yeah. So um, a couple of friends uh, of mine, two women, uh, basically just filled me in on what was going on. And I asked them if they wanted me to address it, and they did. And so I, I pulled the, the gentleman aside and I said, look, this is uh, what I'm hearing and this is what the behavior is causing. And it is uncomfortability. It is turning people off from coming to the meeting. And, you know, the first time this happened was about a year ago. And he said, thank you for you know telling me and pulling me to the side and letting me know. And OK. And then sure enough, like a month or two later, it started again. Uh, and just recently we had to have a group conscience where. You know, we addressed the behavior in open form with uh, this guy in attendance. And, you know, I really didn't know what to say. So I kind of just opened the group conscience with that. I said, look, it's unfortunate that we're, we're having this meeting, but it does need to happen. And so I just put it on. You know, I gave him the opportunity to speak to the issue. And I gave him a heads up. We didn't try to, like, you know, surprise him and attack him. Um, and I was just blown away by especially the ladies at that business meeting and how they conducted themselves in a calm and clear manner. Some of them going as far as to acknowledge, you know, how difficult it must be for him to be in the situation. But the, the long and short of it is it became very evident that he didn't understand uh, that this was problematic, that he never acknowledged that the behavior was wrong, never apologized. And so he's basically on notice. Um, the group voted that he's not to sit next to any women during meetings and that if it happens again, that's it. We call a group conscience. We ask him not to come back. And if we need to, we will, uh, you know, call the authorities. Wow. You guys Hopefully handled that really them. well. Very mature way of handling it. I, I had a, we had that at our group and I handled it personally and, and not such a great way. Um, but what happened was the guy was talking to a, one of the women in our group in a way that if you spoke that way at work, you would be in the age, you would be fired for sexual um, harassment basically. And uh, so it was totally inappropriate. And I was just, I was really livid when I found out what was going on and I pulled him aside and I told him, I don't want you to get any near any of the women in our group. I don't want you talking to him being, you know, I was really upset about it. So he basically just stopped coming to the meeting period. Um, but I was just really, it just upsets me because, you know, all of us work so hard to create a, a, a safe place where people can have an AA meeting and to have something like that brought in just, just really upset me. And so anyway, I, pro I, I probably could have handled it better by bringing the entire group into it and having a discussion and maybe even allowing him to participate. Maybe he didn't understand that what he was doing was 
was wrong or was bothering people. Um, I don't understand how someone couldn't think that, but you know, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that old adage, some are sicker than others. Um, knock on wood, you know, he, he hasn't, you know, stirred up any trouble since and uh, missed one of like the three meetings or two of the three meetings we've had since that group conscience. But, uh, you know, it, it's just I, the reason I mentioned that is because it just speaks to the character of the collective um, of, wow, what a what a mature and responsible group. Um and it's great and that the group that it, can oh, take sorry. care of itself, you know. Uh, that's what that's what I like to see about the group that we started here is that now, like I I haven't been going to very many meetings lately, and I don't know why. I maybe I'm a little bit burned out. Um, I I would like to start going back again. I go just to one meeting a week now, but um, uh, what I like to see is without me being there as the founder, the group moves on. They don't really they 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 take take care of themselves. It governs itself, and that's that's. I love to see that they have their, they have business meetings. They have their trusted servants. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> I totally get it. It, it. That was one of the most rewarding uh, aspects of this whole journey for me was um, I, I chaired the meeting for three quarters or, or yeah, about three quarters. And, you know, I, I can be very controlling and, and want to be, you know, uh, a perfectionist and, and, just one of those things I think a lot of people have within them of, you know, if, if I'm not here, it's not going to work. Uh, and I recognize that. And I, I did have reasons to hold on to it for as long as I did, um, whether they were valid or not. But handing the reins over at the business meeting and uh, seeing my friend who, who came in and is, uh, I think he's just coming up on a year soon, taking over and watching him really just blossom with his it's so cool. It's my favorite part of being in a meeting, especially regularly attending the same meeting is watching the lights come on, watching, you know, so to speak, their them spread their wings and start to just grow. Yeah. yeah so I, just, I love it. Me too. And I had the same experience. We, in the very beginning, like maybe, I don't know, the first six months, maybe even the first year, um, I would chair most of the meetings or the co-founder would chair most of the meetings. And I think we did that just to kind of get it so that we knew what the format was and kind of get things settled. But we always had business meetings from the, from the start every quarter. And uh, then we, after about, I think the first year we started having other people chair the meetings. And from there it's really taken off. Now the, there are other people who've joined the group who, really have taken charge and um, responsibility for it. And they've just brought a whole new dimension to the group that I welcome and, and really love. Um, and w in our case, the people, most of the people are those that have never been to AA other than our secular meeting. They don't have any of the background of the big book or any of that. It's kind of interesting. So um, our meeting is um, kind of unique in that in that they don't have that 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 tradition behind them of or, or that experience of any negativity in AA. They identify as AA members, and we we go through the through everything. But they they have no use for the AA literature, the big book, and so forth. Um, huh. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. It really is. They, in fact, I I made a mistake. At, at, we had a step meeting, and I was going to try to bring the big book into that meeting just to because I thought it might be nice that people know it and that they appreciate the history. And it was such a turnoff; it was horrible. They hated it. So um, lesson learned. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? That AA hangs onto that book and people really don't like it. It's not that good of a book anymore. I mean, it's old. <laughs> yeah, it, it is old. It is old. And, and like, you know, my experience with it is I, uh, I didn't do my step work, uh, with, through the big book. I, I did it out of the 12 and 12 and mostly over the phone with my sponsor. After I would read a chapter, we would discuss and that worked for me. Um, uh, and he also, I, I really appreciate this, uh, told me to skip chapter to the wives <laughs> skip, uh, it, skip it yeah he's like don't even read it uh one i'm not married and he said you don't have kids but also he's like just <laughs> it, it's a it's a dated and pointless chapter for you to read maybe and and that's the way he kept it I, and uh the, the other chapter in that big book that 
it's funny my, my sponsor and i do see this one differently we never came to like uh, seeing it eye to eye is he sees the benefit of that he, he sees that as the um widening of uh birth right for other people to feel like they belong and to to find a higher power i just read it as that essentially condescending and uh, you know just insulting are you talking about the chapter of the agnostics we agnostics yeah. yeah 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 uh and you know he just he disagrees but I, here's why i bring that up it's i like having those conversations with my sponsor about it is your because, sponsor the priest the um that no went, okay <laughs> no he's not <laughs> okay. um but you know he he's got a lot of time under his belt he's over 30 years uh sober and a lot of what I actually really appreciate about how he's sponsoring me and just, you know, a lot of our conversations related to recovery is what he calls old school AA. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has changed, he's telling me, in the meetings, you know, especially in this area of northern New Jersey, where things that saved his ass in the beginning from the old timers when he was new, you don't hear it anymore and it wouldn't be stood for. Um, and I don't know what the case is in your area, but if somebody, you know, relapses and comes back, there's usually a welcome back, which is great, but it's usually applauded. Yeah. And okay. yeah, around know, here, course, it's kind of subdued. No, you know, they're not judged or anything, but it's like, um, if they acknowledge that they came back and people are usually just, just nice and just welcome back. It's not no, no big deal made out of it at all. Right. Right. And I think that the, that's the approach I think that I would prefer. And it's you know not up to me to dictate how meetings run. I just, I find myself not applauding, especially the, the unfortunate folks that find themselves stuck in the revolving door because, you know, what my sponsor said was, you know, why are we celebrating, you know, their potential loss of life? Like what's it going to take? You know, it, it almost like it minimizes how scary that is. Yeah. You know what I don't like? and our group did it for a little while is when you start a meeting by saying, is anybody here for the first time after their last drink or something like that? I hate, I hate that because it's like that period of uncomfortableness where there's a little bit of quiet and is somebody going to raise their hand saying that they went out. And, and I also don't like it because I don't think I, I, I think it's like, I think that people, if, if someone relapsed, it's up to them whether or not they want to bring it up. They don't need to be prodded. So anyway, I don't think we do that now, but we do have, we, we're big on the chips thing now. We at Before every meeting, we have these um, sobriety tokens that we give out. At one time, we used secular ones, but, but they were kind of expensive and hard to get. So now we just use the regular ones. And so um, we always have, we have a 24 hour chip. We have a chip for everything, 24 hours, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, everything. <laughs> no, that's awesome. You know, and, and it's funny because I, I haven't branched out too far since I've been sober in terms of uh, like traveling to different areas, but I've been to meetings in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Philly and uh, outside of Albany. And, and, and I love going to AA meetings outside of the state because it's still AA, but it's just, it's got a different flavor to it. And I, I think that's amazing. And, you know, just recognizing that this is a global movement, it, it, it kind of gives me chills. And, and I'm not somebody who ever, uh, you know, felt anything uh, that I thought other people were describing when they talked about going to church or temple or any of that. Or what they talk about when they pray, you know, if they're in AA and they, they pray to God for another, you know, day of being clean and sober. And I was jealous. Part of me was really jealous of that. But I've, I'm finding that in just the way my perspective of recovery and AA has, has grown in importance and significance with more time. And it's beautiful. It really is. It's amazing how that everybody works their own path and that this exists all over the world. And it's just great to know that it's always there. Even if it's a little different than what I know, it's still AA. Okay. I wonder, Angela, did you, did you just mute yourself or were you muted the entire time? 
Um, I muted some so that oh, okay. there wouldn't be any noise okay. um, Sorry. from, yeah, from Jameson's story. <laughs> I just wanted to I want to figure that part of the technology out because it would be nice to be able to have you call in, but it's, it's, it's with, 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 uh, I hate to be so technolo- technologically um, specific here, but I have two ways of you can call in on the phone, Bluetooth, or I actually plug in with a TRS cable. And I plugged in with the cable this time, but I bet you if I would have done it Bluetooth, you you and Angela would have been able to hear each other and speak with each other. Anyway, lesson learned. Live, live and learn. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to ask you, um, did you, did, did your group get involved with, with service like, um, outside of the group, like, uh, with your district, with your central office, that kind of thing? Um, so we have an intergroup rep. That's about the extent of it for now. Um, however, the young guy that's currently chairing the meeting, uh, shared not too long ago about when he was in, uh, inpatient rehab, uh, that, you know, AA meetings would come in and, you know, he started to hear the message. He said, but it would have been really cool if I could have heard a secular message in like three heads, mine being one of them, like immediately looked up uh, as, okay, light bulb. Uh, we, we're, I'm probably going to address it in, yeah, next month we have our next business meeting and see if there's enough interest to find an outgoing speaking commitment to uh, one of the hospitals or rehabs in the area. I think, yeah, I think that would be really cool just to, you know, offer up a, a little bit of a, different you know taste right of the message of recovery that AA has to offer um i think for me anyway i was so stubborn and small-minded about well this is i i knew what this was about this is about i need to hit my knees i need to turn my life over to a god i don't believe in and of course i was wrong but how could i know if that's all i heard yeah well, I'm, I'm, that's kind of nice that you guys could do that. Angela was actually talking about how her group would travel together to, they're going to try, some of them are going to travel together to this um, conference in British Columbia. And they also um, traveled together to go to the first um, uh, secular AA conference in Santa Monica. Um, and I thought that was kind of cool. Our group doesn't do stuff like that. I mean, they're not interested at all in uh, participating in like the district, the area um, or intergroup. They were, we, we did that at one time, but it was only because me and a few other people that were interested in doing that did. And when it t- came time to ask anybody else if they wanted to or to can encourage them, they just weren't interested at all. They're really insular. They just, they just, um, they might go to another meeting every once in a while. I remember one time they, a group of them went out to another meeting, which was kind of cool. I liked to see that, but for the most part, they just do things together within the group. Um, and you know, I, I guess that's okay. And maybe someday I don't push it on to them to go out and do anything else, but I would like to see them. I would like to see our group more connected to the greater AA community. Um, but our group's very involved, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And, uh, you know, I, I I don't want to see AA, you know, die. And, And I think, the reality is, is that, thing, like I said earlier, things need to change uh, for it not to die. Um, but how do you, how do we do that? Right. You know and- what? AA is really interesting. There are other groups that start up and they don't have the magic of AA. There's something about AA that's unique. And I think what it is, it's the, and, and, and I don't, and we could lose it if we're not, if we're not open and inclusive, but there's a, I don't know. It's almost like, um, it's a, there's a warmth to an AA meeting. If, if you go to like, um, from what I hear, and I've not been to one, but like smart recovery, for example, it's a great program. It's secular, but it doesn't have the warmth. It, it has like, you have a person who is trained to lead the meeting and they have like um, this um, this therapy stuff that you do, you know. And I'm sure that it's nice, and people um, feel enjoy the meeting and get something out of it. But they don't they don't they don't tend to um, associate with each other outside the meeting, and it just doesn't seem as warm from what I hear from people, um, like you have in an AA meeting. And the same is true from what I hear with. Um, I've talked to someone from Life Ring is the same way. 
it's like, you know, they have like a little format for their meeting and everything and people get along well in the meeting. But I don't know, you just don't have that sense of community like you have in AA. And I don't know what it is about AA that, 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 that makes that possible. But I think that that is one strong, one good reason for secular people to stay within the AA fellowship because we have something really special. And our secular meetings are not, um, I don't know, they're not, they're not like therapy, they're not like therapy or something. It's like they're, they're just one person helping another, like, like you find in a, any AA meeting. So I hope that AA survives. And I think the only way that it's going to is if we are, if we modernize and if we are um, inclusive. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I could have said it better. And, you know, more will be revealed, I guess. Right. Uh, I, I think that these secular and agnostic meetings are really important um, just because I think it widens that birth, right. To, to, you know, open the doors a little bit wider for people who wouldn't have found us or come in otherwise. Um, but I totally get what you're saying about the the warmth of an, attending an AA meeting. And, and for me, I don't know uh, about smart recovery personally. I know people that still attend or have attended, but, for me, that warmth, that that sense of like kind of being at home, regardless of where I am or what meeting, comes from the fact that I know that even though I might not know your name, I know how you felt or are feeling. Uh, whether I have been there and done the things you did the way you did it, I definitely had the same result of you know emptiness, despair, all the things, wonderful things that come with the active addiction. When I go to an AA meeting, I f- even though I might not know everybody really well, I have the I have that feeling of being with family. Um that that sense of comfort of being with family. When I was going to group therapy, I was getting a lot out of it, but I didn't have that sense of of um that I have in an AA meeting. And I, I don't know what, what creates that, but it's very special. And I think that the people in the secular AA community who think that we should go off and do our own thing should be really careful when they think, when they think about that, because um, hopefully they could maintain that. But there's, I think that that's worth preserving. So yeah, uh, no, and, I, I agree completely. Yeah, and we have this this infrastructure too of of um, connecting with each other through the AA service structure. You know, Angela mentioned that you couldn't hear her, but she says her group is really involved, and I think it's important to to because of that to preserve that infrastructure, that service infrastructure, and also that that secular people be part of it so that we have a voice there, um, because that's the only way you're going to see. You know, if you want to see our literature modernized or anything like that. The only way it's going to happen is if people that want to see, want to, want to, want that get involved with the service structure. A hundred percent. And I applaud her and her group for taking that on. I I mean, you know, part of it, I think is we have, I, I personally have benefited from quote unquote coming out of the closet with my atheism. Um, And, you know, I don't, force that into my shares it's really depending on the circumstances and if i'm you know i'm sharing as a member of the group or qualifying but when i qualify i do touch on it and there have been times where i totally sidestepped it or i avoided it when i was newer um because i was afraid i was afraid of how it would be perceived i was afraid of how it would make me look um but the more honest and open i am in general when i'm you know participating in an aa meeting especially when i'm qualifying uh, the risk is 100% worth the reward. Um, you know, I've had people come up to me uh, and say, wow, I, I didn't know there was somebody else that felt that way or, or believed or, or lacked belief the way I do. And, you know, a few of them have become regular uh, members of the agnostic meetings I go to. But, you know, AA, like you said, it has the set infrastructure. It has the platform. And I don't want to see the baby get tossed out with the bathwater and I don't want to change AA. I want AA to change. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I, I that's a good way of putting it. I'd like to see it evolve. I like to see it just be more. Um, and I, and I, when I say AA too, that's another weird thing because AA is really your home group, right? And our home group is doing just fine. But AA World Services, what I'd like to see them do different is have. I, I think it's important to have more. I'd like to see them have more uh, modern literature. I'd like to see 
Um, I love the big book. It's a great historical document. Keep it around. But we should be able to write some material that addresses the steps and, and, and the suggested program of recovery and language that people can relate to today and going forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's, it's, it's funny because I just last week had this uh, conversation with my sponsor um, who, when I was, I think probably around 60 some odd 70 days, I was on step three, I believe uh, he gave me a printout of uh, the dilemma of no faith that Wilson wrote. Um, and it was this essay about basically Bill owning his, uh, the errors that he made in being judgmental or thinking that his way was the only way when it came to higher power and belief and seeing what it caused. And also listening to other AAs of that time when he wrote it, kind of conducting themselves similarly with, um, I guess, bias and, uh, prejudice against people who didn't believe or didn't believe the way they believed. And it's this wonderful article. And I like, it didn't even hit me when my sponsor gave it to me, but recently somebody who was leading one of the agnostic meetings brought that in as the material for our discussion. And I saw it in this whole other light where I had so much more understanding uh, of how huge that was for Bill to write it. And I really encourage anybody who's interested to seek it out the dilemma of no faith. Um, actually, I have it right here. It's uh, God as we understand him, the dilemma of no faith. It's from 1961. Uh, I'm like, why isn't that inserted in the big book? Uh, but, you know, the book is the book. If it works for you, great. And I think if you have a faith in God, I am truly happy for you if it's helping. And I actually benefit from when people who have that kind of faith share about it. I used to be turned off and, and angry or I don't know, just I would check out. And now I, I, I try to listen more. And, and somebody, everybody has something to offer uh, if I'm paying attention. Yeah. Well, to why don't we, um, in closing, why don't you tell us where your group is and when it meets? Happy to. So uh, the No Pews Required group is in Lodi, New Jersey. And we meet at the Faith Reform Church, um, 95 Washington Street, in Lodi at 6 p.m. every Sunday. Awesome. Okay. So now I'm going to play our outro music. Isn't this cool? I cannot get over this. I'm sorry that you couldn't hear Angela because uh, <laughs> we're going to work on that because I'd like to be able to have um, podcasts with Angela talking with the guests as well and the guest hearing Angela. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's too bad, but uh, I, I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Yeah. And thank you, Angela. It was nice <laughs> talking to you beforehand. And uh, we're going to be putting that um, secular AA newsletter out tomorrow so everybody can see what's going on there. We should probably post an article sometime about the um, conference that's going to be in British Columbia too. So uh, thank you both. And uh, yeah. I'll be uh, talking to you again real soon. Thanks, John.